You're listening to the City Lights Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. Um, We have a series uh, the last few weeks on one faith. And as Oliver and and Timothy have said, you know, there are no different faiths um, for for believers. There's one faith. There's not a faith when, when you're at work. There's not a faith when you're at church. There's not a different faith when you're um, on vacation. Uh, it, it's, it's one faith. And so we've been exploring over the last few weeks uh, the, uh, what I call the kind of the faith hall of fame um, in Hebrews, Hebrews 11. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, Oliver asked me to, you know, less is more and all that stuff, but then he assigned me Abraham and Isaac. And so, I mean, he's only the father of our faith. There are about 27 chapters written about him, and, you know, and it culminates in him sacrificing his son. So thank you, Oliver. I'll try to do my best. Um, why, why, was this, why was this Hall of Fame, uh, Faith Hall of Fame written? Uh, I want to talk about that for just a second. Uh, the author of Hebrews, we're not sure exactly who it, who it was, but he was a... He was, um, uh, uh, a strong believer and somebody who was there um, at the time that, that Jesus was there. And, and what he was intending to do was encourage the believers uh, who were Jewish, Jewish Christians who were recent converts. And he was, he was basically saying, stand strong. Um, you know, they were tempted at that time, they were being tempted to revert uh, back, either back to Judaism or somehow change uh, the the uh, Christianity into into sort of a, a, a sort of Judaize the gospel, if you were. And so the, the author of Hebrews is writing to encourage them. And if you look at chapter ten, and we're not on chapter ten, we're on chapter eleven. But if you look at chapter ten, it is a. If you ever need encouragement in your faith, just read chapter ten. It is a book just chock full of encouragement. Um, for example, in chapter ten, and I'm gonna go through these quickly, but. It's just, it's just amazing. Verse 22, uh, and I didn't ask Hannah to put these up, um, but verse 22, let us, us, draw near to God with sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for, for he who promised is faithful. Let us spur one another on. Let us not give up meeting together. And then he says, remember the early days after you received the light where you stood your ground in the face of suffering. And then lastly, and, and what I want to kind of give you as my theme this morning, um, other than the one faith, is uh, verses 35 through 39. Um, uh, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Uh, you need to persevere so that when you have, I, I can barely say that, have done, when you have done the, uh, okay, when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. And then here's the verse that my, my teaching is all about today. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who, who shrinks back. But we, do not, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and, and destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. In verse 38, he says, my righteous one will, li- will live by faith. Will live by faith. Not just have faith, but live by faith. Um, and so, 
That's actually a quote from Habakkuk, which I'm not sure I ever knew was in the Bible, honestly. Um, and then Paul says it in Romans 1.17, my righteous one will live by faith. Um, so let's talk this morning about what living by faith means. Not just having faith, but living by faith. So that's chapter 10, then we go to chapter 11. And what the, the, what the writer of Hebrews says, if you'll notice, he says in verse 1, he says, now, faith. Well, the word now, he's using it the same that we do if we're, I don't know, going to your grandparents' house. And you say, kids, we're going to the grandparents' house now. Here's the way it's going to work. Here's what you're going to do. Um, it is, it is a, a word that's used to then clarify or explain what, what you've just said. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. And then he says, uh, we are, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, the definition of faith, if you look in a dictionary, is assurance or conviction. And it's sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. A number of years ago, I was watching, uh, believe it or not, I was watching the Oprah Winfrey show for whatever reason. I think it was because Michael Jackson was the guest. And Oprah asked a question of Michael Jackson. But here's a guy who was, at, at least at the time, the most popular entertainer of uh, maybe of all time, maybe more popular than Elvis Presley, more popular than the Beatles. And so she did this one-on-one -on -one interview with him. And here's the question she asked of Michael Jackson. She said, Michael, you are, I think he was 40 at the time, said, you're 40 years old. What are you sure of? And Michael Jackson couldn't really answer that question. One of the most famous people in the world, greatest entertainer of the world, in, in the world, arguably, couldn't tell Oprah Winfrey what he was sure of. But the author of Hebrews is asking us to be sure of the faith that we have. I started asking my, myself that question, what, what am I sure of? Well, I'm, I'm sure my wife loves me. I'm sure my kids love me, I think, most of the time. Um, I'm sure my parents love me. And I'm sure that I have a relationship with Jesus. But those were really the only things that I could say that I was sure of at the time. And so we'll, that, it was a really short list is my point, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But... but Hebrews says, verse 1 is a little bit vague about, about faith. But verse 3 is where he brings it home. And then we'll get to, get to, the, um, to the meat of this in a minute. But he says, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made by, and there's, there's a negative there, but basically, what is seen was made out of things that are not visible, things that we can't see. Now, that doesn't mean that believers are the only ones who believe in things that they can't see or believe that things were made by things that they can't see. Um, the Big Bang Theory, uh, most scientists agree that that occurred, but they say it basically came out of nowhere, from nothing. Um, life on Earth. Uh, most scientists believe that somehow, some way, life just sprung from a bunch of organic chemicals, chemicals and, and, and really from, from nothing, that life sprang from nothing. 
So we're not the only ones who believe that, but we are the only ones. Believers are the only ones who understand, as the writer says, understand how it's done. And maybe not exactly how it's done, but by whom it's done. Now, science is catching up with us. Uh, at least they think they are. Uh, you know, dark matter is something that I'm just intrigued with. And a few years ago, they, they discovered dark matter, and they said that, well, let me go back one thing, because Hannah's going to get mad at me if I don't put all the verses up. Uh, Romans 1, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 4.17 uh, kind of gives us this. It says, uh, let me look at this. It says, I have made you the father of many nations. By the way, he's talking about Abraham here. I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. And here's the thing. Calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's crazy. Calls into existence things that do not exist. Well, as I was saying, science is kind of catching up. Dark matter um, intrigues me. Uh, it's something you can't see. But according to the scientists, it basically holds the universe together. And so scientists at some point are going to understand that long, long time ago, Scripture taught about that. In fact, in, in Colossians uh, 1, uh, 16 through 17, um, that is exactly what the author there is saying. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, um, visible and invisible. Uh, whether things, I can't read that in, um, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Do you understand what that means? There's a leaf hanging on a tree that's being held on that tree by Jesus. That's what we're talking about. And so um, that. Don't lose sight of that as we walk through uh, the, the story of Abraham. Um, so that's an example. The Hebrews author is giving an example of having faith, that we understand that God created something out of nothing. Um, but there's a difference in having faith and living by faith. Having faith is we believe that God created the universe just by speaking it. But do we live that way? If we lived that way, I think we would live a lot different than we do. Um, and let me say the last thing about faith, and we'll talk about Abraham. Um, I was reading, as I was doing my study, there's a, there's a commentary. It's it really just the, the ESV uh, study notes. Um, and, and here's what it said uh, about faith. Because uh, faith, is not, faith is not a blind faith. A, a, a believer's faith is not a blind faith. Faith is not a, a vague hope grounded in, in imagery, wishful thinking, or wishful thinking. Instead... Faith is a, and here's the key, faith is a settled confidence. A settled confidence. It's not an unknowable leap in the dark. Oliver talked about that in um, Indiana Jones. It's not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God, all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. Now, if you'll turn, uh, we're, we're, here's what we're going to do. In Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, Paul, I mean the, the writer of Hebrews, um, uh, kind of gives a synopsis. Abraham is one of the hall of, the hall of fame of faith. Um, and 
I don't know about you guys, but when I, when I read this story in Genesis, when I go back to Genesis and read the story, which we're going to do in just a second, because I want to give you the context, this is an intimidating faith that Abraham has. At least it's an intimidating faith for me. I just can't imagine the faith that it took in order for him to do what he did. But why is it such a big faith? Why does he have such great faith? Because if you, if you just read this out of context and you just picked up this story and read it, you would think, this dude's crazy. I mean, this is like a cult. This is just blind faith. He just, God talks to him one day and says, go sacrifice your son, and he, he goes and, and, and does it, or at least, at least attempts to do it. Uh, so where, how did he get there? Um, I mean, because when you... I mean, he's, he's sacrificing his son. And, and, you know, it says God tested Abraham. Well, it's fine for God to test me in my work. It's fine for God to test me um, in my money. It's fine for him to even test me in my health. But just don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my kids. My daughter, um, who, after her uh, junior year at Clemson, um, she decided she applied for and was chosen to go uh, on a trip to an orphanage in China uh, where she actually work, now works for the company, um, but she just was intrigued by that. She's always had a heart for orphans and adoption, and so, so she was chosen to do that. And so, so I took her to the airport. She was going to uh, catch a flight in Greenville. She was going to go to um, Chicago, and then she was uh, going to meet up with about 18 other um, I think they were mostly all, all uh, young ladies. There may have been one or two guys, but she was going to meet up with 18 of them. They were all going to get to know each other, and they're going to fly to Beijing um, together and, and, and go work at the orphanage for, I think it was 10, 10 days to two weeks. So we get to the airport, and I notice there's a long line at the gate where, where we're supposed to go. And so we get up to the gate, and I could hear the rumbling in the crowd. We get up to the gate, and, and, and the guy who's behind, oh, not the gate, I'm sorry, this is just the check-in desk. We get there, and the guy says, Mr. Lewis, I'm sorry, but the plane that was coming from New York to pick up your daughter, it's not going to make it. It had, it had mechanical trouble, and it's, it's, it had to go back to LaGuardia. Um, and, and, and there's just something about when you even think that the safety of your child is at risk. So, so I start going into, I mean, the first thing is I said, no, you don't, you don't really understand. See, she's going to Beijing, and if she misses this flight, she's going to have to ride by herself on a plane for 14 hours to Beijing. And so I get into, like, dad lawyer beast mode. I mean, I'm all over this guy. I'm saying, you, sir, are going to have a plane here to take my daughter to Chicago, like he, like this guy had anything that he could do about it. Um, and then I get all, this is for you, Oliver, a movie reference. Then I get all Chris Tucker in Rush Hour with, with Jackie Chan going, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? There will be a plane here. And so, and, and then of course I get, I start threatening. And I'm like, no, this isn't going to be Southwest Airlines. This is going to be South Lewis Airlines when I'm done with you. And then finally, I get all spiritual. I go, you don't understand. She's going to do the Lord's work. We got we to make, make this happen. So <laughs> anyway, she, she, didn't, she got on the, uh, another flight and flew to Chicago, and I'll never be 
Never be able to thank Chris Armfield enough. He spent probably an hour on the phone with her when she was in the Chicago airport, just talking to her, just telling her things going to be getting, things will be good, praying for her. <clears throat> well, she made it, um, despite, despite my wigging out about it. So we read the story of Abraham and Isaac, and, and we're like, come on, God, what, what the heck? I mean, this is just, it's just cruel to, to test him like this. So I've got two questions that I want to try to answer for you about this story. The first is, how could I ever have that much faith, the, as much faith as, as Abraham had? And then number two is, why would I want to follow a God that tests me like that? Um, so let, let's, let's get into the story. I'm going to run through, because actually, in order to understand um, Genesis 22, which is where the story of Abraham and Isaac is, uh, you, have to, you have to go back in time a little bit. And I started at Genesis 12, and I'm not going to go through all that, but I would encourage you uh, in your quiet times uh, this week to go back and look and see what led up to this point. What led Abraham to the point where he trusted God enough that he was raising the knife to kill his son? Um, and, and you'll see in, in, in Genesis 12, um, I mean, God actually spoke to Abraham. He appeared to Abraham in Genesis 12. Um, he, in Genesis 13, he told Abraham, this was kind of a precursor to the, to, the big, uh, to, the, to, the, to the big promise, but he basically said, your offspring um, will be like dust of the earth. You, you just won't be able to count them. And then in, in uh, Genesis 15, of course, um, 5 through 6, this is where uh, the, promise was, the, the, the promise was made that Abraham had to be clinging on to at the time. Hannah, do we have that, 15? I mean, yeah, uh, Genesis 15, 5 through 6. Yeah. Um, he took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So here's the big promise that God makes to, to Abraham. Uh, then, then, uh, and, and so, and then Scripture says, and Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. I mean, that just tells you, and it, Abraham not, had not even acted on anything yet, and he believed the Lord. He believed that he was going to have as many descendants as you could count. Uh, I mean, more than you could count. And God credited, credited it to him as righteousness. What does that tell you about God's view of faith, of our faith? It's important to him. You see, faith, another definition of faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Um, so, then on in Genesis, God, you know, Abraham even questions him after that. God, how's, how's this going to be so? Um, and then God orders a sacrifice, um, sort of a foreshadowing of what's, of what's going to happen. He orders a sacrifice. And here's where the fire pot miracle occurs. You remember the, the, they get the animals and the fire pot goes, goes through, the, um, through the sacrifice. And then God makes a covenant with him. And a covenant, understand, is not a contract. A contract has escape clauses. A contract can be broken by either party. A covenant cannot be broken, especially a covenant made by God. So God makes this covenant with Abraham. Um, and, and then you can read the rest of it, chapter 17 and uh, uh, 19 through 22. 
this is where, where Sarah, um, uh, God says that you know, Sarah will bear a son. Um, and then in, in chapter 18, he has three visitors. Uh, commentaries say that one of them is Jesus. Two angels and Jesus basically come to visit Abraham, and they're talking about his son, that he's going to have a son. Um, Sarah laughs at that, and, and then, then uh, either the angel or Jesus, I can't remember, uh, or the manifestation of Jesus says, uh, is anything too hard for the Lord? And Abraham's hearing all this, and he's seeing this, and he is, he is walking with a living God here. And then this is interesting to me. Um, uh, God threatens uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Gomorrah. And then Abraham starts negotiating with God. Uh, in fact, he... Uh, um, yeah, in fact, in, in, in uh, verse 25 of, of chapter 17, um, he, start, well, he starts negotiating with God, saying, surely you won't kill all of them. And God says, well, okay, what do you got? And Abraham says, well, what if you find 50 righteous? God says, okay, I find 50 righteous. And then Abraham says, what about 45? And what about 40? And then he gets all the way down to 10. And God says, okay, if I find 10, I won't destroy God, uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. So here, here is Abraham not only negotiating with God, but then in verse 25, he challenges God's righteousness and says, surely you would, you would do what's right. Surely you would do what's right. I'm paraphrasing here. Abraham was close enough to God that he could challenge God's righteousness. And God relented um, about Sodom and Gomorrah uh, as, as far as finding the number of people there. So that's the nature of the relationship between Isaac and, and I mean, between Abraham and God. And, and go back to Genesis from 12 and go all the way up to, to chapter 21. And then in 21 is the birth of Isaac. And if you notice, verse, this is uh, 21, um, I think 1 and 2. Uh, sometime later, God... No, 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 this is, this is uh, Genesis 21, Han, I'm sorry. Uh, Genesis 21. Basically, here's another promise is fulfilled. It's the birth of Isaac. And, he's, and, it, and, and verse 2 says, at the very time God had promised him. So here's another fulfilled promise that God had made in his life. Okay, we're going to chapter 22 now, and um, I'm going to put these up on the screen, the verses individually. In, in verse 1, uh, it says, God tested Abraham. And yes, but here's what it says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Uh, and what does the sometime later mean? It means after all of these other events that we just went over from, uh, uh, from I started at 12. You can actually go further than that, chapter 12 of Genesis and, and, and come forward. So sometime later, after all these things is what, is what the, um, uh, one of the uh, um, uh, translations says, uh, that he tested Abraham. Now, why, one of my questions was, why would I want to follow a God who tests you like this? Why did he test Abraham with such an incredible test with his son? Well, Abraham was the, Abraham, God knew that Abraham and through Isaac, that was going to be the gateway to Israel. I mean, that was the gateway to the chosen people. He couldn't have just anybody uh, be the father of, of our faith, and so he, he, he had to test him. And, and the, the good news for us 
through that, in my opinion, is that, because uh, I had a discussion with a friend who said, well, you know, if he hadn't used Abraham, he would have used somebody else because God's will can't be thwarted. And that is true, but I got news for you. God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. And he's not going to use somebody who's not ready to do what ultimately Abraham did. There's a guy named, I can't remember his first name. One of you guys down here will know. His last name is Blackwell. And he wrote a book called The Man God Uses. And basically the theme of the book was God doesn't use everybody. He only uses people that he knows are ready to be used to accomplish his goal. So he had to make sure that Abraham was ready to be used. And after all, they call it the hall of faith. It's not the hall of perfection. Uh, so let's look at this story. Um, he tests him. Uh, he calls out to him. Uh, uh, he said to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. Now, you can choose to believe that's just sort of a conversational reply. Yeah, here I am. Here you go. I choose to believe that it was a statement of surrender because that uh, that phrase is used a lot in the Bible where God is calling on somebody and they are basically saying, here I am. What, what do you need of me? And so he says, so Abraham says, here I am. Uh, and, and then God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Okay, let's stop right there. I'm thinking Abraham might be thinking, hey, this is cool. My only son kid I love. I mean, we're going to go have some man time. We're going to go, you know, maybe go to a man cave, whatever they had back then, and just I'll be able to spend some time with my son because Abraham was, I mean, Isaac was, they say, probably 13, 14 uh, at this time. Uh, and so I'm thinking, if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, this is cool. God is setting apart some time for me and my boy. Um, but now remember, but, but look at the words, your only son whom you love. Where have we heard that before? This is my son with whom I am well pleased and with whom I love. Um, so, so it's going pretty good at this point, even though Abraham, probably, Abraham doesn't know the foreshadowing that, that we're making here. But then, then he says, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. I'd be willing to bet Abraham didn't hear another word after the word sacrifice. Maybe he then heard burnt offering, but probably not another word. Um, and so Abraham's like, wait, what? Sacrifice? Burn my son? Kill my son and burn him? Um, that's crazy. It doesn't say that in the text, but fathers and mothers out there, if God asks you to do that, your son, what are you thinking? You're thinking, that's, that's crazy. Here's the thing, though. Early the next morning is the next verse, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. And now, it doesn't say he woke up. I imagine he didn't sleep much that night. Abraham got up. There is not one word of hesitation in the, in the text that Abraham hesitated in the least in obeying God's command. There's no word, there's no... No indication of any <clears throat> translation, I mean, any conversation that Abraham had with God about this. He just got up and, and, he, and he went. And then he cut the wood for the burnt offering. What, what was going through his mind as he cut wood 
to burn his only son as an offering to God. And then verse 4, um, verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. On the third day. So it took him three days to travel. Three days. We've heard that before, right? Um, it took him three days. I, I just, as a dad, I just can't. My son's here today. I just can't imagine what you're thinking about for three days as you know where you're headed and you know what you've, what you've got to do. Um, is that part of the test? I think it was, but I also think that something happened during those three days between God and Abraham. The text doesn't say that, but then what it says is that in verse 5, when they finally get there, verse 5 says, He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. I don't think this was just hopeful thinking on Abraham's part. I think that over those three days, as he was traveling to the place where he was going to kill his son, something happened between he and God. Some conversation, something happened where he just had total faith when he got there. Um, now, Paul says, if you go back to Hebrews eleven nineteen, Paul says, when he's telling the story about Abraham and Isaac, he says, that Abraham just basically um, reasoned that God was going to raise him from the dead, which I think is a reasonable thing for Paul to say, but he still had to kill his son. Verse 6, um, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He placed the wood on his son, Isaac, for him to carry. That sounds familiar as well too, doesn't it? Somebody who's going to be sacrificed carrying the wood for the sacrifice. Then verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, you know Abraham knew this was coming. He knew this question was coming from his son. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Well, God, Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb. And don't miss that. It's not God will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. Um, remember John saying, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the word, world. Well, as believers, we believe Jesus was God. So God himself provided the lamb for us. Uh, and then Abraham, verse 9, he built an altar and arranged the wood. I just can't imagine what's going through his mind as he's building an altar to burn his son on. Um, and then in the last part of verse 9, uh, it says... When they reached the place where God had told him about Abraham, built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Now, Isaac, there's no indication he was a, an idiot. And there's no indication he didn't know what, what a sacrifice meant. Um, but I want to stop here just for a minute and let's talk about Isaac's faith. 
Because there is no reference in Scripture that there was any resistance by Isaac. In fact, I mean, Abraham was 100 plus years old. And Isaac, as I said, he was probably 13 or 14, but um, I'm pretty sure he could have taken the old man if he, if he had to. Yet there's no indication there was any hesitation on his part. Think about that for just a second. How many of you are fathers? If, raise your hand if you're a father. Okay, a good many. Um, here's the question that I have for you and for me. As a father, are you walking with God in a way that your children see that they would trust you in this situation? Are you talking to God? Do they see you talking to God? Abraham, I mean, Isaac did. I'm sure he saw his dad talking to God. Do they see you walking with God? Do they see you making decisions that are consistent with what you know to be right? Are you going to work in a way that pleases God? Moms, are you walking in a way where your children, your daughters, see that you're, you're walking with, with Him? Um, and if I would like to think that if whoever the next Oprah is, and your children are rich and famous, and they appear on the Oprah show, and Oprah says, what are you sure of? I would like to think that your children would say, I would hope your children would say, well, I'm not sure of much, but I know my dad walks with God. And I'm not sure of much, but I know my mom walks with God every day. So Abraham took the knife, verse 10, took the knife to slay his son. And then the angel called out, and Abraham again said, here I am. You know, I got to believe he was hoping for that call. He was hoping for it, but he believed he was going to have to kill his son, and then his son would would be raised from the dead. And then the angel basically says in verse 12, don't hurt him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. You know, it occurred to me as I was going through this, I've got a little note in my Bible, um, that a little less than 2,000 years later, there was another father who didn't withhold his son. And it was also a son that he loved and a son that he was well-pleased, and it was his only son. Um, And there was no knife and no altar, but instead there were nails and a cross. So, Timothy, if if you'll come on up. I told Timothy beforehand, I've always wanted to say that. Come on up and play some music in the background while I'm talking. Um, I think that's so cool. Um, all right, so how do we, yeah, that doesn't happen in the courtroom. Yeah, <laughs> there's no music being played in the courtroom. So h- how, do, how do we achieve this, this faith? How, how, do we, how do we do that? How do we get to the place where we trust God enough that our walk and our obedience looks like Abraham's? Well, look at Abraham's life with God. Um, if you ask Abraham, I would, and, and he's, actually, he's 
aside from Jesus, he's one of the first people I'm going to go to in heaven and just sit down and have a conversation with him. I'd be willing to bet if you ask Abraham that question, what what does a life with God look like? I'd be willing to bet that Abraham would say, well, I'll I'll tell you this, it's not a sitting around thinking about theology faith. And it's, it's not a systematic, thinking about systematic theology faith. That it's, it's an action faith. It's a trusting enough to act in a way that, that is obedient to God and what he's calling you to do. You know, Jesus said, you, you want to know how I know that you love me? He said, just think about me a lot. That's all. No, that's not what he said. He said, just tell people how much you love me. That's not it either. He said, go to church every Sunday and then, then, then I'll know that you love me. That's not it. In John 14, 21, he makes it really clear. Obey my commands. And in John, well, he says that in 21 and 23 and then John 15, my, probably my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, John 15, 12. He said, my command is love one another and not love one another just how you want to be loved that was the prior standard it's love one another as I have loved you he raised the bar on his command and then James says James 15 12 basically the faith without deeds is dead don't merely listen to the word do what it says James 2, 14 through 24. Go take a look at that after after we're done. 14 through 24, James. He talks about Abraham. It's just so cool how it all fits together. So, to reach this level of faith, you've got to walk closely with Him. You've got to walk closely enough with God that you trust. And it's not blind but you have the experience that you, that you can trust what he says because he's done what he said that he was going to do. Uh, know his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Trust him with everything. Trust him with your children. So my question for you, and the reason I wanted Timothy to come up and play a, play a song before we leave, my question is, as you... As you worship in just a minute, what's keeping you from walking closely with God? And I'm asking myself that same question. What is it in your life that is keeping you from walking with God like Abraham did? Is it pride? Is it envy? Do you you see somebody else with possessions and you say, gosh, I wish I had that? Is it a forgiveness issue? Is there somebody in your life that you haven't forgiven Is it selfishness? Is it money? Financial security? You know, we talk, we're going to have a series on giving because we feel like that's an important thing. And I think if you sat down with Abraham and you asked the question, Abraham, what's about this tithing thing? Do you think I ought to be tithing? I think Abraham would look at you and go, I'm 
I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. It's just so, it's his, it's not ours. So is that what's holding you back? Whatever it is, I'd like for you, I'd like for that conversation to be between you and God as we end here and as Timothy and the team sings. What's holding you back? And then, and let's have a real conversation with God. The thing about God is if you seek him earnestly and you ask questions like that, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. Thanks for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. Thanks for exalting Jesus with us.